Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. G'day and welcome to the call. 10 Stocks picked by you two experts, one hour. It is Thursday, the 18th of May. I'm Andrew Gagan. Good to have you with us and our two experts on the show today, Michael Gable from Fairmont Equities. Michael, good day. Here you go. Thank you. Good, thank you. And also Luke Winchester joining us from Meriwether Capital. Luke, how are you? Good, thanks, Andrew. Good. All right. Well, look, um, Luke, interested to know how closely you're looking at the data at the moment. Certainly, um, at a macro level, we've sort of locally, we've had wages data out yesterday. Uh, jobs numbers have just dropped. It, it's looking a little softer in the in the labour market at the moment. That raises speculation. Perhaps the uh, the reserve may pause uh, next month. Um, how does that all factor in when you're looking at equities at the moment? Yeah, I caught the back end of the big picture there with Kyle and, and the commentary on the on the jobs data, and um, it sounds like that first read it was a, a little bit weak, but but overall, you know, still at uh, historically very strong levels. It's the it's the outlook and the trajectory where where people are obviously worried, and um, we've been saying it now for you know eighteen odd months is that at some point these interest rate rises really have to bite, and and, and you see it start to come through in the data, and maybe this is the you know, the start of the indication that's happening um you know even taking a step back from macroeconomic for a second just over the last few days i think you've seen a few businesses come out um and and disappoint the market with trading updates or or downgrades to their guidance um and that's probably the first time i've seen that you know more broad based across the market I've, i've sort of commented a few times i've been really surprised at how resilient you know corporate earnings have been um all the way since COVID, basically um maybe you're starting to the first cracks appear and so the issue becomes you know the market volatility we've had over the last call it 18 months now um a lot of that has been driven at at a multiple level now you might be starting to see the cracks at at a fundamental earnings level and of course you know that's when things could really get ugly so you know keeping a very close eye on things but but importantly for me you know, what are the actual companies doing? And, and, and perhaps alarmingly, a few of them now, you're starting to see that commentary that they're seeing, uh, that, that weakness start mm. to come through that we've been predicting for a while. Yeah, that, that is an interesting point to make. Michael, um, what are you seeing? Are you seeing mm. some evidence of the softness that's emerging? We're expecting a bit of a yeah. slowdown. How that's likely to affect earnings going forward? Um, it doesn't look too bad to, to me. I mean, you know, thing, things are slowing down a bit, but not at a great rate of knots. Um, we saw in the US, their earnings season was, wasn't as bad as, as everyone was expecting. And, um, you know, we also have to remember a lot of the, the data that, that has been coming out is, is sort of backward looking as well. So, um, I mean, I'm still optimistic that things are going to fall off a cliff. It doesn't look as though that's, that's going to happen. Um, and the market, um, and, and the market's trading trading quite well. I know there's a lot of chatter about um, you know a big recession coming and a big fall in the share market coming, but at the moment we just don't seem to have uh, evidence that that's necessarily the case. So I'm quite open-minded that um, you know the market can muddle along and um, and actually do okay by the end of the year. All right. Uh, well, let's um, let's get into uh, some of the stocks then. And uh, the first five we're going to take a look at: Playside Studios. DDH1 Drilling, Temple and Webster Group, and Best and Less, uh, a couple of the retailers there. First, though, let's get into our stock of the day. It is Xero, um, the online accounting software company. It's posted revenue growth of 28% to about 1.4 billion Kiwi dollars. That's 1.3 billion locally. Xero uh, posting earnings decrease of 26% to 158 million uh, Kiwi attributed to incurred non-cash impairments and associated costs and restructuring charges. The company reporting a net loss after tax of 113.5 million Kiwi dollars 
compared with uh, 9.1 million loss in the same period last year. And uh, taking a look today, the market likes what they're seeing at the moment. In fact, as you can see, it has crossed that $100 level. Um, up uh, more than eight percent today. So, Michael, what? Um, mm. How are you looking at this result? And I guess more importantly, what you're seeing going forward for zero? Yeah, look, it's um, obviously better than expected. I mean, we did some research on it several weeks ago, and we thought, look, it, despite the the run up in the share price, you know, the valuation didn't look too demanding. There was scope for improvements in terms of cost cutting and and we know that the the business can be quite resilient with their their prices and that seems to have um, come out in today's results so you know r d spend was lower than expected um, cash flow seems to have you know even exceeded expectations and um, despite the shares having trended higher since november so there was a nice sort of charting pattern there as well it doesn't look like they've run up too hard into into this result so you know it wasn't all priced into um into the shares leading into it so look a nice pop up today um look i think there's there's a level here on the chart where we may see a bit of bit of consolidation you know the magic 100 dollars mark might mm. see some people taking profits off the table but i think if this can you know hold in here over the next few days or so just under a hundred dollars um and we don't see a wave of profit taking come in then yeah, it might it might continue to to head higher. Of course, we have the background where um, you know tech stocks in general have have continued to um, appreciate. You know, if we look at the Nasdaq, that that looks like it can continue to to head higher um, in an environment where interest rates are, are likely to have peaked or only have one more um, <clears throat> rate rise ahead of us. So um, yeah, longer term, I think it can do well. Am I taking that as a hold? Yeah, it's a hold, um, not necessarily a buy. As I said, I'd like to yep. um, just see what it does in the next few days. But if I was holding it, I'd be yeah happy to continue holding. All right, good one, Luke. Um, how do you look at it? And yeah, I mean, you know, psychologically, it does play a part, doesn't it? Given it has crossed that one hundred dollar level. Yeah, it does. It shouldn't, but it definitely does. Um, look, this is a good example of how the market's always forward-looking. This result is is good, but but you know it's also zero management um, taking some medicine for some pretty poor capital allocation decisions over the last few years. Um, you know, some big write downs to some acquisitions they've made um, uh, only you know a year or two ago, um, and and sort of maybe putting an end to the idea of zero as a platform and, and just refocusing back to their core accounting business. And, and driving that in Australia and overseas. And so, you know, the actual result today is okay, but it's it's the outlook that I think has excited the market and um, the, the prospect of a further opening of, of the leverage within this business as management's called for revenue growth to continue, but for the operating expenses of the business to continue to trend down as a, as a percentage of revenue, um, you know, from, from sort of around 80% back to 75%. So I just, you know, jumped on the calculator, run some rough numbers, um, trades on about 150 times operating earnings, extremely expensive on this result. But the reason why we like software businesses, the market like software businesses, is the leverage they can get and the scalability they can get. And so, you know, you run the rough numbers on where uh, where management expects to be, maybe assuming 15, 20% operating revenue um, growth next year. Um, and that, that operating line sort of doubles and, and that multiple falls down to maybe 65, 70 times operating income. So that's still very expensive. And so to come back to Michael's point, I, I agree with his outcome. It's, it's, it's a hold here. Um, it's tough for me to say buy because it is, it is still quite steep at evaluation and you could see some profit taking around the $100 level. Um, but I think this is a trend you'll see from a lot of businesses like Zero, where they've probably put too much fat around the business, around the cost base through that that post-COVID 2021 period, but you can really shrink that down and you can see that earnings engine come through from that core business, which is fantastic. So um, I would struggle to tell anyone to sell and I think the market's quite right to focus on on management. Finally, you know, maybe took a few missteps the last couple of years, but it looks like that focus is now intact in and um, the business is set to do quite well over the next few years. Good one. That is zero hold from both. All right, let's get into the stocks as picked by you. The first one being HT&E, uh, otherwise known as here, there and everywhere. That's where it obviously wants to be just as far as outdoor advertising in particular is concerned. Uh, 
it did uh, some expecting some de- well it had some earnings downgrades there given the media industry in general I guess is facing some headwinds particularly if we do see the economy soften and you get those sort of cyclical falls in advertising revenues um, also some rising operating costs there weighing on it as well so uh, Luke how do you look at HTE? Yeah, so this goes back to what I said at the start of the program, Andrew. You know, I, I try not to focus too deeply on the macroeconomic data, but, but where I do focus is these bellwether type companies. Um, you know, HTE, as you said, here, there, and everywhere, they're, they're particularly focused in that in that sort of radio advertising space. Um, and it's a good bellwether. So what, what are they seeing across their industry leads you to some conclusions, particularly on other stocks, but also just that general sentiment around advertising, which is quite a discretionary spend. So the outlook wasn't fantastic. Um, it wasn't so much a downgrade to guidance, but sort of missed the market's expectations and the, the commentary was was quite cautious on the outlook. Um, but it's also that trajectory, like we said, these businesses, the actual numbers don't look too bad. And, and on historical numbers, this business trades at about seven times earnings, which is exceptionally cheap. But it's that that trajectory is not good. So I, I just jotted it down here. The, the first Through the first quarter, their revenue was down about 5%. But in the month of May so far, that's down about 10. So it's that it's that worsening of the trajectory that's really got the market spooked. And um, people are quite unsure about, well, where does this bottom out at, at what point? And then, of course, how long does it take for that turnaround to come back and for growth to resume? And whenever there is doubt and uncertainty around things like that, the market fills it with negativity and, and you get stock price charts like that. Um Look, it is cheap. It has a good balance sheet. Operationally, I actually like what this business is doing. If you've got the view that radio may be a dying business, I, I think that's a fair view. They're pushing quite hard into podcasts and, and, and doing really well there as a dominant player. And that division, they're expecting to be profitable by the end of next year. So, look, I, I, I don't mind it. I think it's a hold if you're there. If you're a deep value investor who's in this sort of space, I think it makes a lot of sense. Um, for people on the sidelines, though, I, I do take the view it's hard to come into these stocks when you see the trajectory going the wrong way um we'll get to temple and webster in a sec which is the the opposite where it's been weak but it's now improving that can give you confidence when it's going the other way i, I can certainly see the market's view of sitting on the sidelines so mm. that would be mine too despite the valuation yep okay michael um yeah similar thoughts i think i think to buy it here you you would have to be fairly brave i mean um you know to, to luke's point they are expanding um, diversifying out of radio and in, into podcasts, and look, the, their their listeners, the, you know, they've seen good growth in in their listeners. That's that's great. Their revenue, um, yeah, is, is you know, in some ways has gone up over the year, but so are their costs as well. So look, I think it could be a turnaround. You know, they could be well placed in a couple of years to, um, yeah, maybe start seeing an improvement. But but yeah, at the moment the trajectory is going the wrong way. Um, in terms of their costs and it's a bit bit uncertain as to you know where are we going to be over the next six months with with ad spend i mean one positive is that um the shares actually went up on a bit of volume on that trading update so maybe you know maybe this is the lows and it's priced in but it's it's yeah with the share price that's already halved it could still halve again if um trading conditions worsen so um yeah a bit too hard basket for me i'd, I'd, I'd avoid it at the moment Okay, and avoid then on HTE. All right, let's uh, move on to Playside Studios. Tyler wanted to know a bit that they're saying, I bought this stock around a month ago and plan to hold it for the long term. Uh, it is in that um, looks at um, development of, uh, of, of titles in, uh, in terms of gaming and so on, um, and uh, PC uh, cons- console uh, projects as well. Uh, interesting space. Uh, obviously, there is potential growth there, given uh, how large this uh, broader industry is. Michael, Playside Studios, what's your view? Mm. Um, look, it's not one I looked at closely before, but it look it looks interesting to me. I mean, they're not turning a profit. They're obviously um, creating, uh, uh, you know, games, online games through mobiles. Um, they're trying to. Uh, move into the area of PC and console games, um, which could, which would have more potential for um, for higher revenues. They've got a, a work for hire pipeline, which um, in the recent update is growing faster than expected. So, you know, this the share price has obviously dropped quite a bit from about a dollar thirty to forty cents. But you know, it did peak at the start of last year when things were looking a little bit more exciting for 
the loss-making sort of tech companies. But I mean, when I look at the way it's trading on the chart, it, it, it's sort of bottoming out. I mean, I'd, I'd even have this as a, as a speculative buy as long as I've got stop losses near the, the recent lows because, yeah, look, if, if they're seeing an improvement um, in the way their business is going, even though they're not making a profit yet, and, uh, and there does seem to be a bit of buying coming in down at these levels. Um, yeah, it's got long-term potential. I mean, they haven't proven themselves uh, in terms of the, the PC and the console games. But yeah, again, if you're willing to take a bit of a punt with a small amount, um, I think there's probably enough to um, yeah, just take a nibble at it down here. All right, Luke? Um, look, I, I agree with that. Um, it's it's an interesting business. So the three founders own about 60% of the business between them. That in and of itself always interests me. I, I love to see management that highly aligned. Um, you know they'll always be acting in your best interest as shareholders. Um, they've got a, a long and successful history of games development, mostly through that work for hire segment that Michael was talking about. Now, the problem with that is it's good, steady revenue, but it's also quite low margin. Um, and so what the business has been trying to do pivot to their own original IP um, and they've had some success with that some some successes some failures but it's higher margin but but what it brings is is lumpiness and so as you see there's a it, it's hard to see on that chart but there is a little spike up in the, in the last sort of month or two um, as Michael was sort of talking about potentially finding that bottom as, as it has spiked up um, that was on the back of one of their mobile titles um, dumb ways to die based on that old um, Melbourne Trains advert from years ago, um, hit number one on the on the iPhone you know, game store, which is quite, quite a great achievement for Playside and generated some significant revenue. But it's not, you know, with mobile titles, it's not a, a really long sales cycle. It's quite a sugar hit where you'll get, you know, maybe a month or two of strong revenues and then you need to have that next title ready to go and also have that be a viral hit. And it's quite hard to know what's going to be the viral hit and what won't. So I think to go back to the to the viewer who sent it in, they said they're in it for the long term. That is the mentality you need for this business because it will be lumpy quarter to quarter around new title releases and whether they're successful or not. But longer term, I actually agree with Michael. I think this is a speculative buy for the right investor. It is a micro cap, 150 mil, you know, all the same uh, risks and things we outline for those sorts of stocks. But I, I love the alignment of the management team here, the long-term vision they've got. Um, the work for hire underpins the business, maybe not at the current valuation, but, but definitely the, the, the sort of um, livelihood of the business. And you've got the optionality of whether they can execute on that original IP. So I like it. I, I don't actually own it for disclosure, but I have looked very closely in the past. Um, I, I do like it and, and would say it's a spec buy for someone who's got that long-term focus. All right, interesting. You both put a, a spec buy on it, so it's definitely one to, to take a, a look at, keep an eye on, if not uh, perhaps uh, wait in there to a degree. All right, let's uh, let's move on. Uh, we're getting into the resources space now. The next one, DDH1 Drilling. Uh, Matt wanted to know, saying he's uh, he says it looks good, like a good value at uh, its current levels, a good dividend, good EBITDA growth, and currently undertaking a buyback. Uh, there we can see the performance of the stock thus far. Look, it is in the, uh, it provides drilling services, I guess, therefore it is cyclical in the commodities space and um, you know, also dependent on where those commodity prices are going. Uh, notably, actually, it had uh, some adverse, adverse weather events affecting the business, certainly at the beginning of the year, uh, plus also some regulatory hurdles that it had to overcome just as far as drilling. Uh, so, Luke, DDH, what's your thought? Yeah, I mean, who would want to invest in a cyclical business? That that share price chart, you know, indicates a, a business that's struggling. You go and look at the fundamental results and it's absolutely flying. So, uh, you know, to, to the viewer who says it looks cheap, you know, five times earnings, um, you know, that, that's not EBITDA, but, but sort of NPAT operating earnings um, is exceptionally cheap. But of course, being a cyclical business, this is what the market does when it looks forward and tries to predict where the business will be sort of 12 to 18 months in the future. Now, the problem with a cyclical business, as you alluded to just then in the intro, Andrew, is 
at any point, if the business sort of signals some weakness or, or, a, or a slowdown in the outlook, which which DDH did, they said January and February, revenue's been impacted by some wet weather. But I think the big, the big one was snuck at the end of that sentence where they said some deferrals in some client drilling programs. Um, the market, you know, it's always got an itchy trigger finger with cyclical businesses. And so it doesn't actually surprise me that you've seen the sell-off. Um, for what it's worth, you know, management think their stocks are cheap. They're executing a buyback and quite meaningful too. You know, you're seeing decent lumps of shares bought back every day um, and they've got the balance sheet to do it. They've, um, you know, generated a lot of cash over the last couple of years as that cycle's been strong for them. They've invested well. Um, it's actually uh, the, the largest driller, um, you know, based in Australia, which is quite amazing. Um, and, and so, you know, from that point of view, it's it's that classic cyclical. looks really cheap on the historical numbers. That market's looking forward at where it could be. It's, it's really tough to say. I actually suspect this cycle may have more legs in it than, than what that share price alludes to. Um, the big concern will be whether there's company-specific issues around that January, February, and whether that's extended into you know the, the rest of the year to date. Um, I would definitely hold it if you're there. Again, this is this is getting speculative, maybe a bit unlike Playside because this is a, a pure cyclical. Um, you could maybe look at a speculative buy for a business like this, but, but just be aware of what you're buying. Like If you're looking at the historical numbers of this business, business, always be aware that market's looking 12 to 18 months ahead and sort of starting to factor in the top of that cycle and potential for those numbers to be a bit weaker moving forward. So um, I don't own it. I'll probably hold it if you're there just because of the support you're getting from the dividend and the buyback. Uh, but just be aware of the cyclicality and what the market's trying to trying to tell you right now. Yep. Good points, Michael. Um, yeah, I, I agree with all those points. I mean, I'd, I'd have it as a hold. It looks, you know, it's in the right area. Um, really cheap, great business, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I guess, you know, when does it become a buy? I think, yeah, obviously the market's factoring in um, a further slowdown. I guess if you have the view that um, that this sector will, you know, still has legs and, and, I, and I'm quite bullish the resources sector. So, you know, if I was to buy one of these mining services companies, then um, yeah, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd be looking pretty closely at these prices. Um, so look, I think it can head higher, so it'd be a hold. I think if you're bullish that sector, which I am, I think you're better off with some of the, the miners direct. You know, just trading your BHPs and your mineral resources and, and some of the other smaller ones. But, you know, if you want to be in the, the drilling space, this is the one to be in. And, and, and I suspect that it will be trading quite a bit higher by the end of the year as the market starts to, um, you know, catch on to to the fact that um, you know the, the, I think the whole commodity sector uh, yeah still has further to run. Yeah, I mean, it, it does come down to the opinion that where we're at in the commodity cycle, mm. doesn't it? So obviously, you feel as though there's more to come, and that could be clearly beneficial for the company. Yeah, look, yeah, exactly. There's just obviously been some negative news at the start of the year with the you know the flooding, mm. um, you know, labour hire issues. Most recently, we've we've seen weakness out of China. So there's. Yeah, there's a number of factors that have been making investors a little bit nervous on that sector, but I still think that um, you know demand globally will pick up later this year. I still think there's been an underinvestment generally in um, in the resources sector, um, so I think all of those things will um, you know come to fruition later, and and stocks like this will yep. will get renewed interest. All right, okay, so that is DDH drilling. Let's now move to. We're actually going to cover a couple of retailers here. Um, and we begin with uh, with Templon Webster. It uh, it is well, you know, sort of furniture retailer. Uh, a lot of it, um, well, mostly it is online uh, business. Uh, once again, I guess you know, we were talking at the beginning of the program about where the economy is heading and how it's likely to affect businesses, in particular retailers such as uh, Templon Webster. So, Michael, mm. what's your view then? Um, look, I mean, retail in general, I've been a bit bit cautious over this year, obviously as, as spending decreases, but you know, they're all different, the retailers and um, you know, different demographics and, and the different demographics have different um, spending patterns. And uh, look, I think Temple and Webster is, is one of the few that, that you'd be holding here after uh, yesterday's trading update. They maintain guidance, um, which is great. They didn't, you know, they, they didn't slash guidance. Um, which some have done that we'll speak about shortly. Um, look, they've got cash, no debt, they, they've got a buyback. Um, 
I think I think maybe one of the things that that the market liked in the announcement was the reference to uh, AI because that's the the fashionable um, sort of topic at the moment. So they referred to the fact they've been using AI to help with uh, not only their chatbots but um, just enhancing a lot of their product descriptions as well. So. Um, Look, they seem to be bouncing back pretty well. I think it's it's one of the few businesses in that area that's that's doing well. The shares not only jumped yesterday on good volume, but they're up again today. So there hasn't been any profit taking yet on the back of that announcement. So um, look, I'd, I'd find it hard to buy it after a 20% jump or whatever it is in two days. I'd wait for mm. some sort of consolidation, but it does look like the market was pricing in um, something worse than what's come out. So a bit of a relief there. Um, maybe a bit of short covering as well. So I think generally the share price will head higher over, to- over time um, as the market sort of reprices the shares. So for me, it's a hold um, in terms of a buy. As I said, I'd rather see a little bit of heat come out in the short term on lower volumes and, and that might give you a better entry point. Does it con- concern you though over consumer behaviour of obviously, you know, firms like this benefited over COVID when we were refurnishing mm. our homes, but that is definitely over now. We yeah. sort of more want the experiences and travel and so on in services. Um, and particularly, I guess, if the economy does weaken, cost of living still a huge issue there that, yeah. that a company like this may struggle. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's for those reasons, that's why I've, I've avoided retail. But it looks like in this case, the market had had well oversold it right. for, for those reasons. So it seems though the share price is trying to find where it should be. So it's not a, you know, to me it's not a screaming buy. It's not a seven, eight dollar stock. Yep. Um, you know, maybe it's a five dollar something stock or a six dollar stock, um, and maybe that'll, you know, that'll be the, the the limit as to as to how high it can go. So. Mm. Um, yeah. Look, if you're looking to buy retail, as I said, I think you could buy it on a bit of a dip, and you'll get a bit of upside. I, I'm still not buying retail. I mean, there's only so many stocks you can hold and, and yep. I think there's other opportunities out there. But in the retail space, this seems to be one of the few that might might reward you with a bit of upside. All right, we'll get to another one in just a moment. But Luke, uh, does that current share price accurately reflect uh, where this business is going, do you think? Um it really depends on your long-term view of the business, Andrew. Um, you know, it's a business that's hovering around that break-even, slightly profitable, uh, but it's the it's the market share they're they're capturing, the the operational um, execution they're driving, all of their sort of um, you know click metrics, order values, um, you know efficiency metrics, they're all going in the right direction. So I can understand why the market's you know pretty excited about this business longer term um it overlay that with the the consumer weakness that we expect shorter term and that pivot from yeah how much was brought forward through covid versus shifts to to services and and travel and tourism yeah there's a lot of moving parts to it but i can certainly understand why the market you know if you're taking that longer term view there's a lot to like about temple and webster and and how they've executed and um you know I, i saw a broker note this morning sort of highlighting that when you go through those periods of weakness um the the market leaders in various segments usually consolidate their they entrench themselves deeper into that leading position and Temple and Webster you know in Australian furniture and homewares uh, online in particular I should say um, have, a, have a dominant position and, and look like they could be on their way to do that even you know entrench themselves even further um, the update uh, the other day yeah the markets loved it it's it surprised me it had that spike up okay normally you see some profit taking but to have another leg up today i think michael's onto something there it usually signals that the market was behind and, and and sort of brokers and everyone else is playing catch up to, to what's happened um so it goes back to what i was saying before against ht1 this business had some weakness you know cycling some tough comps at the start of the year uh, but they said the last few weeks um into may they've now seen that sort of um, flip over and they're now doing um i did jot it down uh it was plus 10 percent through the 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 few weeks of may versus negative five um to start the year so you know you can see that inflection of growth returning and the market's confidence returning and and the outlook you know suddenly looking more positive and the share price does what it does Mm. um 
to come to a buy, hold, sell, look, I, I think it's a hold just on that longer-term execution. I think Michael's right, though. If you're looking to buy, buying it after two days like this feels like you're sort of chasing it a little bit. I expect at some point we'll see a bit of profit-taking maybe on a, a few bad days over in the US or something. It is, it is that high beta stock that will move a little bit with the market. So, look, I would I would hold it. Maybe if, you, if you're on the sidelines looking for that sort of retail e-commerce exposure, I like this better than Kogan or Adore Beauty or some of the other e-commerce. I, I think these guys would be your pick of the bunch. Maybe just wait for a you know a better price or, or a few red days to sort of time that entry a little bit better all right okay that is templin webster let's move on to another retailer now best and less in fact uh, updating the markets um with its uh, lowering its uh, second half profit guidance by about 40 percent uh, sales down marginally uh, over the year but uh, obviously a concern about particularly consumer sentiment at the moment there we can see the share price which uh it's not particularly attractive even over five years it has been on a downward trend so it is uh luke of course in the clothing and sort of linen and also that sort of space how do you view best and less yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting we put these two stocks back to back. I mean, they're not um, directly comparable. One's homewares furniture. The other one, as you said, is is um, clothing and, and um, sort of focused on, on babies and children in particular. Um, but it goes to show it's difficult investing. Um, you've, got, you've got two retailers essentially exposed to that same overall discretionary sort of spend. Um, one's going one direction and one's going the other. Um, you know, best and less. From a, from a revenue point of view, they sort of said, uh, to the first seven weeks of the year, they're up about 3.9%. But then through the f- uh, the next nine, sorry, for the first seven weeks, plus 3.9, but then through 19 weeks, negative 1.4. So that 12 weeks in between, you know, you've got to run a bit of maths there, um, quite a sharp negative result. And that's what the market's picked up on. Um, net profit guidance was cut in half from about 20 mil to 10 mil. Um, and I think most of that, given that revenue is essentially flat on a, on a group level, it's obviously costs underneath that they're struggling to contain, which flip back to Temple and Webster, they've done a much better job at, at doing that. Um, there's a few things to take into account here. Uh, Brett Blundy, the, you know, uh, uh, the, the king of retail here in Australia, uh, one of his vehicles has lobbed an indicative bid at the business for $1.89. Now, when he did that, it was actually below where the share price was trading. So it's clear that he's not going out of his way to go and capture this business. I mean, normally you see a 20 30% premium when somebody really wants to get hold of a listed business. Um, now with a downgrade, it's below that price. Maybe it's providing a flaw to the current share price. How committed is he to, to you know, uh, completing that bid or do they come in and reprice now and sort of try and take advantage of further weakness hard to say with all that new ceos come in so a lot of moving parts right now to best and less um none of them overly positive maybe obviously brett blundy if that bid stays at a dollar 89 would be um so look if you're there it, it is cheap um it is cheap and i think on normalized earnings it's it's exceptionally cheap probably somewhere around like five to seven times earnings but go back again to what i said at the start of the program it's the market not knowing where does that trough of earnings get to and how long does it stay there before normalised comes back? And I have difficulties answering that question myself for a lot of businesses, which when you have that uncertainty, for me, I just prefer to sit on the sidelines, which is what I would do with best and less. Um, if you have a bit more conviction in, in the consumer and retail or you're someone with a stomach for volatility or you know likes to play these sorts of deep value plays where there's plenty of catalysts where you could see value realised, you, know, you could easily hold this just given the valuation. But for me, like I said, too much uncertainty, I'd just be on the sidelines. Okay, Mike. Um, yeah, as, as we mentioned earlier, retailers, um, not only do they you know, sell different things, but um, they appeal to different demographics as well. And I think, you know, in the case of best and less, you know, you're selling sort of you're more at the, the value end of, of, of the goods that you're selling. So you're not, yeah, you're selling to, to the parents, to, to the younger people, those with kids. Um, and if we think about why is everything slowing down, so we're looking at um, inflation, higher interest rates. So you've got the consumer, you know, at the one end, perhaps you have older consumers who have paid off mortgages and aren't affected in a negative way by the rising interest rates. Um, and then you've got, you know, the younger, the younger consumers being hit with rising rents um, and those in the middle with children most likely a mortgage, etc. So, I think the best and less demographic, uh, you know, they're the they're those in the middle there that 
are more likely to cut back on their spending because they're affected by by the higher interest rates and, and the higher mortgage costs. So, so I think they're in that area that's going to do it tougher than perhaps some other retailers. And um, and obviously for that reason, it just creates, as, as Luke mentioned, a lot of uncertainty. So we really don't know when this will bottom out. Um, look, Luke's mentioned all the other key points. The only the only one thing I noticed with this result yesterday, because you know, huge cutback in their guidance, mm. um, the shares didn't fall even more than than what they did. So yeah, you know, maybe that's a positive. Maybe that says something. But you know, if you're someone like Blundy with a five-year horizon, maybe it's worth picking up. But yeah, I think it's um, yeah, too much uncertainty at the moment. It'd be an avoid for me, not even a hold. Yep. Okay. Well, that's pretty much an avoid from both. All right. Well, let's uh, sum up where we've been with the first half of the show. Our stock of the day is Zero uh, online accounting software. Uh, just crossed back above $100 for the stock. Um, Michael's saying reasonable value. It is a resilient business. He's got a hold on it, as does Luke. Um, saying, well, it's sort of the outlook is really what got the, mar- the market excited at this point. Uh, our first stock, as picked by you, HT&E. Um, it is a, a hold from Luke. It's got a cautious outlook. He's saying it looks cheap, but and the reasonably good balance sheet there. Michael, he's avoiding it uh, at this point, uh, but saying does have a potential turnaround. Playside Studios, uh, a spec buy from both. Uh, really interesting. So one, obviously, for our um, investment committee to consider. Um, Michael's seeing buying at these levels. Uh, it does look uh, look good. And uh, Luke pointing out steady revenue, low margins, although those earnings are lumpy. Then over to uh, DDH drilling in the resources sector. It is a very cyclical business, obviously, given what's going on in commodities at the moment. Uh, Luke's got a uh, hold on it, uh, saying it does look exceptionally cheap, but pointing out just how cyclical the business is. Uh, Michael also got a hold on it. And Temple and Webster, the couple of retailers that we've just gone, gone through there, a hold from both, uh, both fairly cautious on retailers given what's going on, particularly uh, reluctance with discretionary spend at the moment. And same goes for best and less, but to a worse degree there, given they're more likely to be affected, as Michael just pointed out. So it is an avoid from both on best and less. All right, let's uh, catch up with our own high conviction fund. It is picked by our investment committee. The latest episode of that committee is live for you to watch at ausbiz.com. So checking in on the update, going into May, 1% was trimmed from Macquarie Group, West Farmers and Elders. 1% was added to WiseTech, MA Financial and also Cash. Aspermont replaced by Kelsian Group. Checking in on the performance and is 9% up on a cumulative return basis since its inception March last year. So keep sending in your requests and you can keep the call switched on to see what our committee will be looking at next. For us, looking at next will be PEXA, Kit McGrath Education, Next DC, Charter Hall, Long Whale Reit, and Linus Rare Earths. All right, let's get into it with PEXA. This one picked by Mim uh, saying, is it a good business? What about the potential competition there? It is at that online property settlement and tracking uh, company. Uh, the first half result there, uh, just above uh, estimates, and but it was way down on losses in its UK business. Michael, PEXA, what are your thoughts? Um wouldn't normally be one that I go for, but I think you know we might be seeing a bottoming out in this. Obviously, the um, property transaction platform, no real um, competitors. They're expanding in the UK. Okay, that's not doing really well at the moment. But yeah, as we could see in Australia, perhaps we've you know reached a point where you know volumes might have bottomed out, um, and there might be a bit of upside um, from here. Uh, they reaffirmed the outlook, um, I think it was only a couple of weeks ago, to the market, looking at the way it's trading. You know, the share price, yeah, it does look like it's sort of bottoming out there and wanting to head higher. So, yeah, not normally one I'd go for, but I think that, yeah, again, this could be a speculative buy here. Um, I don't think you're going to make a huge return, but I think I think it's bottoming out and the market will start to... Um, you know, slowly lifted higher over the course of the year, provided you know we don't get you know many more interest rate rises or something unexpected like that, which um, you know kills the volumes in in the property market. Mm. But yeah, I think it's probably bottomed out. All right, um, along with the property market, you think? Yeah, pretty <laughs> much, pretty much. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Luke, 
What are your thoughts on Pixar? Um, yeah, look, the core business is a very high-quality business, to answer the viewer's question. Um, you see that in the margins, 50 to 55% um, EBITDA margins in that um, property settlement segment. Um, it's, it's effectively a monopoly. There, there's some small competitors, but you know they're mostly legacy, and I, I, I expect Pexa will, will likely be you know, the, the only business in this space at some point in the future. Um, the question becomes for me, like, what's your view on management's capital allocation? Because they have a golden goose, obviously, with that uh, property settlement business, um, and it doesn't trade too expensive. I mean, you look at the current market cap, and um, they've got some some cash as well. It's about 15, 16 times operating earnings, the core business. That's that's pretty good for the quality of the business. Low growth, um, you know, even even best case scenario, you're probably looking at sort of low to, to mid single digit growth, but it's actually going backwards given the current housing market. So you've got to you've got to bear that in mind. Um, but as Michael said, it's, it's what management's doing over in the UK where you're not really seeing much traction as best I can see. Um, and also some other uh, digital segments they're trying to get in and around the property space, um, you know, through some some um, ventures they've made into some other small businesses. So they're, they're loss making and, 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 you know, stripping away from the core business. So the actual group trades on, on 20 something times EBITDA, you know, um, taking away from that core business. Look, I, I would hold it if you're there, um, just because that core business is so good. But but I, I think if you do hold this business, you've got to probably sit down and, and have a view on, on how does the UK and this digital segment play out? When do you expect them to get to profitability? Or probably more importantly, if they don't, or if that traction is not coming through, do you think management's rational enough to pull back? And I, I don't have a great answer. That's not a, it's not a stock I know really well. Um, but look, it is a high quality business that, like I said, it's a golden egg that mm. that um, that core property settlement and sixteen times EBITDA for that. Um, there is a there is a um, call option within this business. You know, someone will come in, and, and people have in the past. You know, when it was Inside Link, um, you know, people people will come for this business to make sure they maximise the value, be it private equity, superannuation. It is the sort of asset that, that is you know, spits out a lot of cash. So um, I, I think it's certainly a hold. And if you can more confidence than I can around the, the other stuff they're doing, you could you could probably look to buy it here too. Like Michael said, uh, I think it's taken a bit of weakness on the back of the housing market. I don't have a great view on what the housing market does. And, and bear in mind, you're not you know you're not thinking about prices here. You got to think about turnover. Um, Pexa, you know, it's on, it's on a turnover basis rather than a price basis. So, look, it's definitely a hold for me. Um, you know, maybe maybe speculative buy. Uh, let's say speculative buy so we can send it to the... Oh, okay. Company. All right, you've convinced yeah. yourself. Well done, Luke. Convinced myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, let's move on to Kip McGrath Education Centres. Now, Luke, we, we have... Uh, you've spoken about this one before. I know you've you've always kept an eye on it. Um, it's uh, last update there. Six months financials were not well received by the market. Uh, tell us more. Yeah, look, I, I still hold this one, unfortunately. It's been a painful hold for, for shareholders, including myself, for the last uh, sort of year, year and a half. Um, it's been it's been caught up in, in obviously, the, the focus from the market has shifted from, from growth to, to, to profitability, especially at this small micro cap end of the market. Um, and, you know, Kip McGrath, it's, it's a business that has some, some decent tailwinds behind it. Um, it's in that education tutoring space. Um, and, and, you know, students who, who struggled through COVID and, um, there's there's uh, statistics and reports out that show that a lot of students are sort of behind about nine to twelve months in their in their schooling than, than where they should be, um, you know, because it was difficult to learn um, through that COVID period, and and tutoring has picked up the slack in a lot of cases, and so so Kip has all those tailwinds. But they're investing hard to take advantage of them, you know, fleshing out a corporate network, fleshing out an online platform, trying to expand over to the US. And when that investment's coming through, you're not seeing that that profits hit the bottom line. And, and that's what the market really wants in this environment. Now, look, I still hold and, and, and I would say it's a, it's, it's a hold for, for, for the program and for other people out there. Um, you know, the, the commentary from management is they expect to see that leverage really start to come through in the second half this year. So that's what I'm holding management to. Um, you know, we'll find out in the next few weeks. We might see a trading update or at the worst, we have to wait until August for the full year results. Uh, but that second half result, you know, that's that's where I really want to see that profitability coming through. Um, if it doesn't, you know, I'll certainly be re- reviewing the position for Meriwether Capital and encourage people to read monthly reports or, or whatnot to, to, to get my thoughts on, on different stocks. Um, but, but it would be a hold until then. Um, 
and you know it could actually be quite quite cheap depending on what that second half looks like and that run rate into FY24. So mm. uh, it's a hold for me, Andrew. Personally, yep. with with fun, I'm, I'm holding it um, and I'm waiting for that second half result. All right, with uh, skin in the game there, Luke. All right, Michael, your thoughts? Um, look, I, I don't know the business like like Luke. Just had to uh, do a bit of research today mm. on it. Um, unfortunately, I noticed in the uh, the recent update in February. They referred to COVID-19 as COVID-10, so a bit of a typo in the educational <laughs> okay. uh, firm's release, which isn't, which wasn't, wasn't a good sign. Um, but look, jokes aside, look, it's yeah, it's a tough business at the moment. We we spoke about um, spending being under pressure for the demographic of those likely to have mortgages and kids, etc. And this is their their demographic. So yep. to me, there's a bit too much uncertainty as to um, how that might pick up again. Um, so look, given that, I'd, I'd rather just be on the sidelines, not um, not even hold. Yep. One one point, I the other point I just wanted to mention is um, it only looks like it trades about ten grand a day. So yeah, you just have loss. to keep keep liquidity in mind. Yep, as well. Okay, all right. Let's move on to next DC, and in fact, it's uh, expanding again. Uh, Scott wanted to know about this. Uh, recently announced a cap raise to fund its overseas data centre expansion in both uh, Kuala Lumpur and also Auckland. Um, so I guess that uh, opens up new growth potential there, but also increases the risk. Michael, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, we like this one. We It was just a recent buy of ours, actually, um, before this news came out. So the shares have been trending well since the end of last year. Um, and in, just obviously regarding the recent news, um, we all know what NextDC does. Yeah, you see capital raising and, and your first thoughts are, oh, geez, here we go. Um, you know, what's the discount and what's it for? But um, look, great, great news. They're obviously expanding with these these data centres. Um, they're not just paying off debt and, um, you know, for, for, you know for, for silly means like that. So I think, you know, for a stock like this that also had a, a you know, a short position in it, I think some of the concerns were over... Um, you know, what their debt levels were like and, and sort of growth prospects. So it's sort of put laid to rest um, those concerns with, with the recent raising. They're, they're doing it for the right reasons. Um, they upgraded their guidance, of course, um, which which was a positive. And, and then finally, price action. So, you know, price action for me is important. And, you know, they're raising, I think it's, uh, it's down at 1080. And when the shares came back online, they dropped for... Yeah, all of a few minutes at the start of the day, and mm. uh, and they've recovered those losses already. So, you know, bought up straight away by the market, which is is great. It didn't fall down towards the um, um, the the raising price. So, yeah, look, I, I, even at current levels, I think it's a buy. I think there's um, yeah, you know, further upside from here. Yeah. Okay, Luke. Um, I've been negative on this one in the past, and, and the reasons for that probably haven't changed a great deal, Andrew. I, I, at its core, I just think this is a much more capital-intensive business than sort of what the market prices in. So it gets lumped in with other infrastructure stocks, um, and, and there's not many left on the ASX, which is maybe why Next DC cops a good bid. Like you've basically only got this in, in Auckland Airport and um, Atlas Arteria left. Um, so the, the difference being, though, is the the, the main maintenance capital that needs to be spent to continually update these data centers. Um, it's not so much a build at once and then you've got an asset that sits there and spits out cash for the next 20, 25 years. Um, you know, these servers have to be replaced every, you know, maybe five to seven years, if not sooner, just given the advancements in this industry around the semiconductors and, and um, the stuff that goes into them. So, you know, I've never liked it for that reason. The update the other day was was pretty decent and particularly around that contracted utilization. This is a utilization business. You've got a fixed asset in place, even though it is more uh, capital intensive than what you'd like. But once you've got the fixed asset, you just want as many people as possible in there because you've got a, a fixed cost base and you need the, the leverage on top. So I thought the update was solid from that point of view. Um, like Michael, I was a bit surprised the raise you know, got away as, as easily as it did. And then the share price has, has spiked up quite strongly. And that's probably a signal to, to you know, within itself um, and, and maybe some, some short cover stuff in there as well, which again, you know, it's people maybe throwing in the towel and admitting that that short thesis hasn't played out the way they expected. 
Um, so look, I've been negative in the past. I would say it's a hold. You know, the people who own this business, they know what it they, they know what it does. They know what the plan of this business is. It will need to continue to consume capital. So you'll you'll keep seeing debt. You'll keep seeing equity raises. So be aware of that. I, you know, it's not quite at the point yet where it's ready to sustain itself off free cash. Uh, but if you're comfortable with that, look, I, I think it's a business that it will certainly be around for the next however many decades we, mm. we, are, we know where this industry is going it's only going in one way so i'll say it's a hold for the for the program yep okay all right to our ninth stock this one picked by hannah charter hall longwell reese uh hannah saying uh, that she's held this for a few years with a long investing horizon and given the interest rate environment with reach should i consider swapping my holding for its parent charter hall uh so luke what does that make sense uh, potentially. So the one thing you'd have to be aware of there is that Charter Hall as the parent group um, has a very different model. So um, it, it has some assets within it, but but essentially Charter Hall, Goodman Group, um, Dexus, those those businesses have, have turned themselves largely into management companies now where they, they clip the ticket on, on management fees and, and developing properties and, and spin spin assets out into funds like the, the Charter Hall Long, Long Whale Reef. Um, to come back to CL W for a second, um, you, you know, REITs as a basket has been a, a tough space, and of course, it, it should be when interest rates rise. You know, um, it affects it affects obviously bonds first, but then the next asset class next to bonds is is real estate, being that real defensive asset, and so the valuation of, of REITs is, is very closely linked to interest rates. So it, it, it should come as no shock to anyone they've been under pressure since since 2022. Um, so I would look at this business. Operationally and executionally, it's not one I would look at every time. So I'd open up the report. Their assets look fantastic. I mean, it's 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 a it's a blue chip client list. Eleven years on the on the lease expiry. Um, their cap rates don't look too bad compared to where you know um, risk free rates are right now. And I guess more importantly, that dividend yield based on where they expect the operating distribution to be is about six and a half percent. That you know that's pretty good in this environment. I know you can go and probably get four percent in a term deposit now, but um, there's not much equity risk premium you're taking with a business like this. So six and a half feels good to me. Look, it's not my style. I'm not a conservative dividend style investor. Um, I'm, a, I'm a micro cap fund. Um, but if you're someone who is, then then you know I, I think this is a, a perfectly fine choice. Um, of course, just be aware it's a distribution, so there's no franking credits. So that that six and a half is all you would get, even in you know your, your superannuation or whatever. But I think that's a I think that's a decent distribution for a business like this. And I mm. don't think you're taking much um, asset risk. You know, there's some office office right now. I know I'm just saying something everyone's well aware of. There's, there's risks around office. There's risks around retail. These guys don't play there, so I don't think you're taking much risk. On the asset base either take that as a hold then yeah a hold but like i said it would actually it could actually be a buy but just just for the right investor i wouldn't go and buy this if you're someone who's after capital you know capital growth and capital yep. gains but if you're a dividend focused investor i think this would easily form part of a basket for you yeah fair enough all right so michael back to hannah's question then when mm. she's saying you know should i actually yeah, swap it for um the parent charter hall what, what are your thoughts on that um <laughs> It, it really comes back to what sort of risk you're you're willing to take. So, with look with C or W, I think it's a hold. Um, you know they have great assets. Um, you know Luke, Luke covered all of that. Um, I mean, my preference would be if you're starting from scratch. I wouldn't be buying C or W. I like Goodman Group. That's one that we we were buying at the end of last year in anticipation of that whole sort of sector bottoming out. Um, and Goodman Group upgraded there. Their guidance last week, so that's I think the sort of the gold star in, in that sector. So CHC is the parent company. So we've got CLW, which is more industrial. CHC is the parent company. That that share price has suffered recently because about thirty percent of it is office space, and you also have um, retail, etc. So mm. um, so Luke made the point that those areas are riskier. So I think if you know for the viewer, you just need to take the view well. You know, do I think those areas are oversold, um, and do I want to take on the risk now to potentially get some upside from those, or just keep things plodding along with with CLW? So I think CLW should plod along fine. Um, CHC, look, I actually think that um, that whole area has been oversold, especially office space. Um, so CHC is a stock that that we've also been 
picking up recently. I think, you know, when I look at it on the chart, it looks looks like it's bottomed out, it's oversold and it's bottomed out and there seems to be some very good buying come in. Um, look, almost every day in the papers, there's sort of negative talk on um, on the office space you know, yep. globally. And I think, mm. you know, in terms of Australia, it might've been oversold. So look, it is a bit of a, a punt for, a, for want of a better word that, yeah, it is overdone. The market's already pricing in some very dire consequences. Um, so if you're the viewer and you're happy to take a bit of a risk, um, you can move it into CHC and you, you, you know, I think you should get some more upside over the next 12 months, but you know, you just take that, take that risk that, mm. that we haven't seen the bottom yet. All right, uh, Hannah, I hope that answers your question. All right, let's round it off back in the resources space with Linus Rare Earths. Uh, in fact, uh, just in the, in the latest news, it got something of a reprieve out of Malaysia where it's operating there. It's been struggling regulatory wise and it's got an extension on a ban uh, on importing its concentrate and um, also perhaps helping it enable its uh, full production at its plant, uh, while its plant in Kalgoorlie is being ramped up at this point. Uh, Michael, Linus Rarus, then mm. particularly off the back of that, that latest news there where it's yeah. got a, a six month reprieve, if you like. Yeah, look, this is another example of, um, you know, a share price pricing in something that, that just didn't work out to be the case. And I think you don't get these, I guess, opportunities very often because, I mean, in the case of the previous stock, CHC, you know, office space, maybe it's overdone. By the time we start to realise if that's the case, it'll be a bit of a, a slow burn. But but this was a very binary, you know, you've got this shutdown in Malaysia um, and it will take a few months until they can move over to Kalgoorlie. So, you know, the market was pricing in um, basically three months at least of no production, which is huge. So, you know, it could either go two ways. It continues on down that path, already priced in, or something happens where, um, you know, you suddenly add three months of production to a business, which, which is huge. And um, look, we look. this is one that, that, that we were buying um, several weeks ago. I mentioned it on the trade with Kyle several weeks ago. You could see the bottoming out and the market was starting to pick up mm. at those levels. And, and basically, yeah, we've, you know, they've, they've had a reprieve from the Malaysian government. They've had three months of production come back online. Um, according to the analysts at Macquarie, that's a 45% lift in production forecast. So you just have this huge switch of, of increased production. Um, and as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, on bullish resources and that whole sector, I think there's, there's further upside. So yeah. look, it has jumped. Is it still a buy? Yes, I, I still think it's a buy. So, okay. you know, you had that initial jump on volume. It's come back over the past several days on lower volume. So I'm not seeing a lot of big profit taking, um, not not by any major institutions, that's for sure. So um, look, I still think it's a buy here and, and we could see, see it with an eight in front of it, maybe even a nine over the next few months. Mm, interesting. Okay, Luke? Um, I'm glad you went to Michael first. He knows this stock better than I do. Um, on, on a quick glance, look, it looks fine. Um, obviously, the, the regulatory stuff in Malaysia has been a, a spectre over the share price. You've seen you know, a bit of relief there. Wait and see how much more. But operationally, it looks like the business is trying to move away from that risk and, and, and come back to Australia. Um, I haven't looked too deeply at that rare earth space, but um, from hearing others speak on it, you know, th- there is a, a, a big push to, to, to shift production or refining away from China and to um, you know, have, have the, the, the interests of, of, of our countries untied from, from the vast majority of the production over there. Um, and Linus sort of plays right into that. Um, you know, generating, uh, oh, sorry, a long history of, of production, um, generating revenue, profits, trades on, you know, about 20 times earnings. But of course, it's 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 where that's going in the future. And I probably agree with Michael that you look at what they're looking to bring online and, and, mm. and that, that should grow quite strongly. Um, forecasting where the you know, the rare earth prices will be is where it becomes difficult. Um, that's what I struggle to do. Um, you know, so, but if I'm backing someone like this, you're backing the management team who have executed really well so far. Looks like they've got a great plan to continue to do that in the future. Um, and it has, a, has a, a rock solid balance sheet behind them. So, you know, if you want that rare earth exposure, I'm, I'm actually not sure who else you could play with on the ASX, but I'd, I'd be, you know, happy for, for people to hold something like Linus. To say it's a buy for someone, I, I just don't know enough about the industry and the sector and where it's going, but, yep. but certainly 
just based on the on the on the execution, the operations of the management. I think it's a comfortable hold. All right, that is a hold then from Luke on Linus. All right, let's wrap up where we've been for the second half of the show. Uh, we began with there with Pexa. Uh, look, it's a spec buy from both. In fact, Luke talked himself into it after initially saying it is a hold, just you know, particularly in terms of its monopoly it has in that uh, property settlement space at the moment. Kip McGrath, um, Luke saying he holds it. It's been a painful ride. He's maintaining a hold there. Um, Michael's just not interested in it. Next, DC, a buy from Michael. Um, Luke's got a hold on it, uh, pointing out it is a capital-intensive business, which he's a little cautious about. Charter Hall, Long Whale Reit, a hold from both, um, pointing out perhaps Goodman is the preferred uh, stock in that space. And uh, Linus Rare Earths, it is a buy from Michael and a hold there from Luke. All right, well, thanks to our guests. Luke, thanks for joining us from Mary of the Capital. Thanks, Jens. And Michael from Fairmont Equities. Good to see you again. Thanks, Andrew. All right. Uh, that is the show. And uh, any stocks you'd like us to cover, be sure to go to osbiz.co forward slash callpicks or tweet us at TV. Stay with us. The Pulse is up next. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.